Well, let's think together then about uh, this uh, matter of choices and so on. And having turned that off, I'm now going to turn it on again. the Lord for help. Lord, help us again as we consider the teaching of your word together, that we may all be helped and instructed by you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been looking at on the general sort of heading of starting as a student. What We looked at what it involved. We thought about all the things that somebody coming to Brighton as a student might um, be considering and then last week we looked at the courses that Adam might have signed up for do you remember we uh, looked at what it was to be human the the world that God had made for Adam and how Adam had been made and the tasks that he'd been given and uh, we we came up quite a range of things that he he could have studied and and that are proper human activities uh, proper things that that we should embrace uh, as God calls us and enables us and and not wish we were doing something else but get stuck into what God has enabled us to do as made in his image. And we'll look this evening at choices and decisions because this is one of the things that was thrown up in the first session that students find themselves in a position to make responsible choices that they never had to make when they lived at home or when they were when they were younger so i thought of things like this choices and decisions uh, what to study well that's one one big area of choice uh, then more practically how to use time and i don't think it's only students who face an issue about how to use time Uh, How to spend or save money. Well, I think most of us face that as an issue. Uh, Who to align with. That is probably something that students face particularly because when you're you're new to a situation, if you suddenly find yourself in a new um, accommodation block, the question, do I make friends with these people? Do I go along with them? Do I say, no, I won't go along with you? Who do I align myself with? That's a very big question. And then, of course, I've put at the bottom church and Christian stuff. Although I put it at the bottom, it sort of covers everything else as well. So those sorts of choices and decisions, does that make sense? As Yeah. So I've got two points, although I split the second point into 2A and 2B, just to make it more complicated. And my my first point is a bit studenty, but I think perhaps worth pondering. The very idea of making choices and making responsible choices is fits in to the Bible view of the world. Choices and decisions are genuinely meaningful in the world 
of the God of the Bible. It's a foundational idea. It'd be easy to skip over that, but it, it's worth pointing that out because there are other worldviews which are which speak to us, and they do not contain a reason and an understanding of the importance of choices and decisions. So in an evolutionary worldview, which let's face it, many if not most people around us will embrace, what on earth are choices and decisions? In an evolutionary world, there is time and chance, and this, so we are supposed to believe, accounts for the existence of people. I don't think it does. I think you'd need an enormous amount of faith to believe that time plus chance equals people. It doesn't even make sense. But in a new evolutionary world, that we're told is what there is, time and chance, and how on earth do meaningful decisions ever fit into that? So on the one hand, you could put the emphasis on the randomness and say, all we have is random, it just happened to be there, it's just fallen into place in such and such a way, and therefore any choice that I make can't be anything more than that. It just it might seem to be grand, it might seem to be important, but really, if you analyze it down, it's just another throw of the dice. What does it matter? And if you begin to think that way, as some philosophers have done, it's a route to despair. Think, well, what does anything matter? Does it matter if I live or if I die? If I'm just a collection of atoms that have randomly happened to end up in the particular jumble that they are at the moment. So, randomness tells me that there is no value in anything, there is no meaning in anything. It, it, it might seem that way, but really it isn't that way. Or alternatively, you might go down the route of saying, in a very scientific way, everything is worked out by equations. So if you imagine when they're playing snooker, you know how if you get the angle right, you can tell where that ball's gonna go and that ball's gonna go, and if that one hits another one, then you can tell where that ball goes and that ball goes, and if that hits another one, you tell where that ball goes and that ball goes, and that's what life is. It's just atoms whizzing around, and if you knew enough, you could calculate everything, and all our thoughts are just made of atoms and electrons whizzing around, and if you knew enough, you could calculate all that. So it's just a big machine. And uh, where does choice come into that? How does freedom come into that? It, we're just a machine. And you get that sort of idea when people say, ah, oh, well, such and such a person, uh, they're not actually a criminal. They're just addicted to stealing. It's just the way they are. It's just a medical condition, really. And of course, I'm sure there are medical conditions that damage people's lives, but if you reduce everything to just a medical condition, you can't really blame people for it. You know, this person's unfortunately addicted to uh, knocking people over, and this person's addicted to something else, and you can't really blame them for it. It, it removes the idea of meaningful decisions. But in the world of the Bible, where human beings are not random, 
And in the world of the Bible where human beings are made in the image of God, and therefore not just machines, in the world of the Bible there is meaningful choice and there is such a thing as praise for good choices and there is such a thing as blame for bad choices. That's the sort of world that we really live in. And interestingly, of course, even the most hardened evolutionist, even uh, Professor Dawkins himself, lives as if we live in a world of praise and blame, although I doubt very much whether he could explain why he should do so. So let's think of the biblical worldview. Let's take it back to thinking about God himself. Uh, the God who made everything, we could say in a nutshell, is infinite and personal. So he is not a machine, he is not a vegetable, he is a person. And we know what we mean by person because we can say he speaks, we can say he, we can attribute to him rightly reactions such as compassion, mercy, faithfulness. These are all personal qualities and we see them particularly in the Lord Jesus, don't we? We could add qualities like courage, uh, tenacity, kindness, all these personal qualities. So the God whom we worship, the God of the Bible, is an infinite personal God and Christians spend a lot of time praising him for being that. Now if you think about it, just think about that. We're praising him for being the person whom he is. God is totally free. We don't take that to mean that, one, that tomorrow God could wake up and say, well, I'm free, I'll choose to be cruel and unfaithful. It's not that sort of freedom. But our God is, in his character, free and compassionate and just and it's perfectly right for us to praise him for being like that. And we as human beings are made in his image. Granted it's more complex, but human beings are made in his image. Uh, we are not infinite, we are finite, but we are personal, uh, we are personal and we are fallen. And therefore we could, in the same way, attribute to human beings praise, gratitude, thank you for keeping your promise, thank you for dealing honestly, thank you for forgiving me in compassion. We can praise people for meaningful responses and we can blame them uh, if they do something that's wrong. You told a lie, that's well out of order. You, you, you stole my iPad please give it back to me. And so we live in a world in which praise and blame for choices makes sense and is part of the dignity of being human and this only makes sense in a Christian worldview and if you are a thoroughgoing evolutionist, I don't think there's any, any, any meaning to these ideas. So let's look at some Bible references which embed us in that. So let's first of all look at Ecclesiastes. And I have to say, 
that one of the reasons I chose Ecclesiastes was so that I could put Eccles up on the up on the screen. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes being a book which reflects on the strangeness of life in this world, life under the sun. Thank you, 677. So Martin, please could you read us Ecclesiastes 12.8. Okay, that's a very typically Ecclesiastes thing to say and what he's saying is that on, on, on some views of this world you, you, you look at it and you say well that, that's frustrating, unsatisfactory, unresolved, um, pointless and he, he's quite capable of saying oh, yeah, don't, you know, nobody's pulled the wool over my eyes I look round and I can see things and I could well describe them as meaningless, meaningless So we'll give him credit for that. And then let's look at verses 13 and 14 when he rounds off a total view of everything he's been saying. So this is Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Perhaps Mark, could you read us that please? Thank you. This is interesting, isn't it? Because having said in some way you could say everything's meaningless and unresolved and never quite as simple as you would like it to be, he does say, now here's, a, here's the bottom line, that God will judge everything and he will do so in his capacity as the creator the maker of everything, the Lord of everything, and he will look at every deed and weigh it up, and he will say, that is good, uh, that is evil, that is very good, that is very evil, and he will weigh and judge deeds. And I think this is saying that this is the sort of world that we live in. Uh, and In one way it's scary, but in another way it's very comforting to know that we don't live in a world which is just random and totally pointless yeah. let's look at Romans 2 6 to 8 Romans 2 This is Paul talking about uh, a doctrine of judgment. Uh, McCullough, can you could you read us Romans two six to eight, please? Thank you. As Paul confirming the same idea that that God 
will judge everything and he will judge rightly and fairly he will give to each person according to what he's done so the things that we do are not pointless and lost in history as soon as we've done them they count for something the stakes for which we live life are real and high do you see what I'm saying we, the, the things that we do matter so choices and responsibilities matter uh, a couple more verses this time from John's gospel in some ways these texts raise other questions that I'm not necessarily going to look at but John chapter 3 verses 19 to 21 so this is another uh, crisis text this is the decisive division this is the verdict if you like John 3 19 to 21 Wes could you read that for us please Thank you very much. Again, that's a text about uh, life, about what we do, about our deeds, and it divides humanity into two sections, woodlice and moths, and the woodlice hide away from God because their deeds are evil and they don't want their deeds to be shown up before God, and the other, the, the moths, come towards the light not saying that people are perfect not saying that they're sinless not saying that they're saved by the goodness of their deeds but saying that there's something in them that wants to get close to God and this shows not only in their inclination but in actually what comes out of their lives in terms of activity whoever come, lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God so again that I think that's talking about the importance of deeds. And let's look at John 5, verse 28. And 28 and 29. John 5, 28 and 29. John 5, 28, 29. So, Archie, are you up for that? Or do you, shall I pass? 28 and 29. Condemned. Condemned. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay. It's, uh, okay, it does raise questions but what it's certainly saying is that deeds matter and I think it's making the same distinction as it was before that there are those whose life in terms of 
what they've done and the motives for which they've done it are in fact evil. And those who, who, although they were not perfect, but but because they've been born again and have a new motive and a new capacity, not that they've done perfect things, but they've done things which are good and which when held up uh, and, and tested show that they are that they belong to God. Uh, so my, my basic point is that deeds, deeds matter. So that's my introductory point, that in choices and decisions, choices and decisions are genuinely meaningful in the world of the God of the Bible. So that's point number one. Anybody want to ask for clarification or make any comments about that? No, okay, let's see if I can. So I'll go a little bit further. If you want to come back and ask, please do so. So let's think about making choices and decisions. So I've got 2A and 2B. So 2A is, when it comes to making decisions about who I align with, what course I do, how to spend my time, how to spend my money or not spend it, God can direct people over and above and bypassing human capabilities and capacities. So God can direct people in those, if you like, supernatural ways. Let's look at some examples. So Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 is to do with this very famous person in the Bible, somewhat unique person in the Bible, Abraham. And the Lord dealt with Abraham to, in terms of his alignment, in terms of where he would be, and things like that. So we're looking at, oh, that should be Genesis 12 verse one. Lindsay, could you read that for us please? Genesis, I didn't, it was Genesis 12, verse 1. Thank you. It, it, it's as stark as that. It just comes out of the blue. The Lord says to this guy, Abraham, who is living in such and such a place, who hasn't been sending out his CV to different gods you know I'm looking for a change of career would you like to put me on your short list he hasn't been doing that but just suddenly God says to him leave your country leave your people leave your father's household you go somewhere you don't know where it is I'm going to show you okay, so that's out of the blue God just says that to him. I don't know how he said it. I don't know what it sounded like or looked like. But Abraham knew that it was God. And the thing is that he he went off and trusted God and followed God, even though he didn't know where he was going. So there's a large amount of faith in that and this obedience. And it came out of the blue, over and above a human capability and capacity. He hadn't planned it. He hadn't sat down and looked at his options. He hadn't, he hadn't gone through you know, the Jerusalem Chronicle looking for openings because there wasn't such a thing as Jerusalem at this point. There wasn't such a thing as Jerusalem Chronicle. 
So it's out of the blue and God just said, this is what you're supposed to do, okay? So let's look at David in 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7. So did David sit down and, you know, did he have a careers advisor that he booked time with? Now, what would you be good at, David? Well, sheep, yeah. Anything else? Anything political in your mind? You know, an inclination towards politics? No, not really. So 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16, what did I put? 6 and 7. I don't think I meant 6 and 7. Did I mean 6 and 7? Yes, I did mean 6 and 7. 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7. Uh, Tim, could you read us that, please? Yeah, keep going. Yep. Thank you very much. And it ended up with the choosing of David. And this is uh, Eliab, David's brother. And humanly speaking, Samuel would have said, yeah, he's a good choice. Uh, he looks good. Uh, you know, tough appearance and the Lord says well that's what you might think humanly but I'm doing this a completely different way I'm not looking at the outward appearance I'm looking at the heart and my choice is his little brother David and then it's David who gets anointed and this is, comes as a complete, complete surprise to David David had not been planning this he had not been asking for it but God took him from looking after sheep and plonked him in a career which was end up as him being king. Yeah? So I'm giving this as a second example that the Lord can direct people over and above and bypassing human capabilities and capacities. Yeah? Let's look at the example of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus did have a career plan. He did have a to-do list. He did know what he was planning on doing. And what he was planning on doing was going to the next city to arrest as many Christians as possible and give them an extremely hard time. And in Acts 26, 19, uh, the risen Jesus appears to him and tells him different. And Acts 26, 19 sums up this bit of guidance. And Chris, could you read us that, please? Thank you. Just, just a snapshot of it there. He's, he's, giving, he's, he's giving his testimony to King Agrippa, telling him what happened when he became a Christian. And he described a vision from heaven, just completely unexpected. And he says, I did not disobey the vision from heaven. So I've given you three examples when God can direct people over and above and bypassing human capabilities and capacities. So I think that those are genuine examples. They're quite unusual, aren't they? Each of those is a very key and special person, but nevertheless, God did that. 
So that was point 2A, but my point 2B is that far more often God, who made us sons, is pleased for us to act as rulers and stewards and caretakers, which is what he's made humanity to be, in making wise choices, depending on God as our guide, and making those choices in the company of others. So do you see my point A is God can say to somebody, do something you were not thinking of and it's completely out of your, off your radar. But we are not told to wait for God to do that to us, but we are told as a gen- more general rule to make our choices as rulers, you remember we're told to rule creation, so God has sort of delegated that authority, you know, so we don't pray, Lord, how often shall I, here's a cow, does it, should I milk it today or not? Well, the Lord says, you know, you know you've got to milk a cow, just get on and do it, see what I mean? Uh, um, you know, there's there a very bizarre story about a, a lady who prayed to the Lord for guidance every morning whether she should put on her right stocking first or her left stocking first. And I think the Lord probably got a bit fed up with that. Just get dressed. Uh, so there's, we are rulers. A steward is somebody who say, there you are, there's the keys, there's the budget, you think how to use it, I'm giving you that responsibility. And that's the, that's the predominant picture of the way God has put us into this world. Or caretakers, again, the caretaker doesn't have to refer back to the principle for every decision. The, the principle says, look, I want you to make sure there's enough toilet paper, I want to make sure that it gets locked up at night, I want you to make sure that the lights get switched off, all those things, just go and do it. And uh, my thesis, that's, that is the, the, the large uh, emphasis of what the Bible says about guidance. So making wise choices, so wisdom is an important idea. Depending on God, so I'm not saying that we, we just don't bother to pray about things, but I think we, we pray and then we act and I've put in the company of others because wisdom tends to be a communal attribute. And if you go off on your own on things, uh, it's, it tends to lead to unwisdom. So the, the idea of, of, of communing together, taking advice, uh, is a biblical idea. So I've got some references and then I've broken that down into some more bullet points so what have I put so depending on God as our guide here's a couple of references Exodus 13 Exodus 13 21 and 22. This to me gives a a, a sort of iconic picture of God and his people. This is in the time of Exodus. Exodus 13, 21 and 22. 
So, Angie, have you got that on your machine? Could you? Could you give us the next one as well, please? Thank you very much. So here's a particular form of guidance where God guides with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. I think the important theological principle is that God does guide his people without saying exactly how he does it, but we can trust him so when we come to a perplexity let's not think I don't know what the answer is nobody does God certainly doesn't I'm completely stuck let's rather think I don't yet know the answer maybe none of my friends knows the answer but God certainly does and he will make it his business to to you know, as I depend on him, he will make it his business to lead me uh, the next step forward. Sometimes we don't, only, we don't see much more than the next step forward, but it is part of what being a God is to guide his people. Yeah? God, that's what gods do. They might, not, they might do it better or worse. Idols are totally useless at guiding, although they promise that they can do it, but they can't. Uh, the God of the Bible is a, a reliable guide and there he is in Exodus doing that sort of thing and here's Psalm 23 2 Psalm 23 2 the bit I'm aiming for is sort of in the middle no I, I mean Psalm 23 verse Three is the is the bit I'm aiming for is in the middle of verse three, but Aaron, could you give us something on that one? He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Thank you. So, have you got it? Leads. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Yeah. Uh, we NRV's got guides, but I think it comes to the same thing. Here's a very important psalm classical statement of a relationship to God he's the shepherd what does a shepherd do he leads his sheep that's his business he would be negligent and incompetent if he just sat and let his sheep wander off all over the place and the Lord is a good shepherd so basic things about depending on God as our guide and here's one about the company of others Acts is it 16 let's look Yes, it is. Acts 16, verse 10. We looked at this as a church just the other week. There's been a vision. There's been some sort of providential barrier to various different courses of action and uh, the vision of a man saying, come over in this direction and help us. And Acts 16, 10, Maria says... Thank you. 
Do you notice what he says there? So there's a variety of things have happened and the Apostle Paul is there and he could say, guys, I've had a vision, uh, follow me. But in fact, what they seem to do is discuss it because he uses the we. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them so the concluding word is a, a rather lovely word about batting things to and fro. Uh, so we batted it around and came to the conclusion that yes, God was calling us. So I think it's an example where there is wisdom in the company of other people. So that's an example of that. So here are my final bullet points on wisdom from the book of Proverbs, or most of them from the book of Proverbs. Uh, so let's go to the book of Proverbs. What sort of wisdom then do we, what sort of principles of wisdom might we expect to put into the mixing pot when we are making choices and decisions? Acts 20 verse 4, I'm saying that biblical wisdom is very happy with there being cause and effect in this world. It says you're very stupid if you don't think, if you think you can have an effect without a cause or, or vice versa. Things, there's a cause and effect and here's a rather classic example of it. Proverbs 20 verse four. Could you give us this one please, Catherine? Okay, uh, a sluggard does not plow in season so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. So here's the slugger. The slugger is just a wonderfully comic character in Proverbs. He's so stupid, you would not believe it. So here he is, it comes harvest time and he goes out to his field and he looks around. <laughs> you know, I cannot believe it. There's no harvest. What is this country coming to? And, he, so he, and, and it says, did you actually plant anything? Oh, never thought of that. And uh, you have to plant things. Uh, a sluggard does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. Well, that's not wisdom, is it? There is cause and effect. That's the way God loves the world to work. That's the way he works it. And if you want to reap something, you've got to sow at the right time. There is cause and effect. You know, if you want a first in your course, you actually have to read the books. If you, you know, that sort of thing. If you want your car to run smoothly, you have to put air in the tires and petrol in the petrol tank. Uh, things like that. If you, if you want your gas bill at the end of the year to be within reach of a non-multimillionaire, you actually have to be careful when you turn the gas on uh, not to have the heating too high during the cold months of the year. You know, just to think ahead and it all begins to make sense. So there is cause and effect. And that, that covers a whole multitude of things. Uh, second principle, I think, from the book of Proverbs is that moral wisdom works. That God has made a moral universe and even though it doesn't always work as well as you'd like it to, and even though you could say there are uh, exceptions, as a, 
has a fundamental rule, if you live according to the maker's instructions, life will go much more smoothly than if you don't follow the maker's instructions. It is a moral universe and moral wisdom works. So here's Proverbs 14.1. Martin, could you read that to us? Yeah, the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. So here's the wise woman, here's the foolish woman, here's the wise woman who works with wisdom, and it's successful. She's wise, and it works. She builds her house. And here's the foolish woman, and it isn't smart to be foolish, if you see what I mean. It isn't even productive, because this lack of wisdom, all it does is actually destructively tear her life and her 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 hand uh, her house down so moral wisdom works 1118 1118 McCullough could you read that to us please Thank you. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. And I'm putting this in the category with other things in, in Proverbs about fruitfulness and about productivity, which, which are saying if you operate in a, an honest, straightforward, yeah, an honest way, it yields results. He who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. But if, you, if you're cheating and trying to cut corners in a moral universe, it's all deceptive. Your wages are deceptive. It, it, it doesn't really work. Did you see what I'm trying to say here? Uh, so it, I think there's, a, there's a, a very simple but very profound principle there. True in business. Would I be right in saying that, Martin? When from your experience in business, if you if you do it honestly and work hard, it doesn't always succeed in every way, but as a general rule, it it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Twelve fifteen. Other people's wisdom helps. Wes, could you give us Proverbs 12:15? The way of the fool seems right to him, but the wise man listens to advice. Thank you. Yeah, interesting there, isn't it? The way of a fool seems right to him. So the, the, the fool says, yeah, this is okay. But the wise man says, well, I think it's okay, but what do you think? I know that can you can overdo that, but... It, He's saying a wise, it's, it's a wise thing to listen to advice. It's a wise thing to get somebody else's view. What do you think? A helpful thing. Other people's wisdom helps. Now this strays outside Proverbs into Hebrews. Good choices may not yield their reward in this life. That's an important, characteristically Christian 
angle. So as the writer to the Hebrews looks back on Old Testament heroes, he says, in fact, they are, they are examples of the Christian virtue of faith and also of the Christian perspective that you might not gain in this world, that doesn't mean it isn't worthwhile, the reward might be in the world to come. And it's actually quite a strong Christian teaching. So Hebrews 11, 24 to 20, 24, 25, and 26. So this is Hebrews 11, 24, 25, 26. RG, could you do that one for us? Oh, you haven't found it. Right, okay, let's have Mark. Let's have Mark. Thank you. So it was an interesting choice that he made. He chose to reject the pleasures of sin for a short time, and he chose to align himself with the people of God, who, as as we know in those days, were uh, were slaves. And he made this alignment not because of the treasures that he would amass in his lifetime, but because he was looking ahead to his reward. Uh, interesting uh, and rather testing factor in choices and finally on wisdom the foundation of wisdom we've gone back to Proverbs now the foundation of wisdom is to put God first so this is not a technique this is a costly dedication of life Proverbs 1 1 to 7 Lindsay could you read that to us please Thank you. So he puts a, a very big advertising blurb at the beginning of Proverbs, doesn't he? He said, this gives you wisdom, this gives you understanding, this is how to live, this is really, really worth having, see you through life. And he says, bottom line, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Yeah, that's in there, verse seven. The fear of the Lord. Fear meaning taking God seriously, putting him as number one that the largest thing on your horizon is the Lord big thing to, to ask but that's what he says that's step number one if you take that step and follow that through really everything else in this sense falls into place 
put God first when you're deciding this or that be it large or small put God first finish any thoughts comments reflections